Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church. Well, let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you, Father, that you gave him to us when we were your enemies. He died for our sins, was raised from the dead on the third day. So whoever simply believes in him by your grace, it becomes a believer, becomes righteous before your eyes and has eternal life. Father, this morning we want to pray for Lee, that he gets well real soon. We also, Father, want to pray for the saints and all the difficulties that people are facing in different ways. We pray particularly for the saints that are in persecuted countries this morning, Father. We also pray, Father, for peace in the nation of Ukraine. And we ask most importantly, Father, today that you would have the Holy Spirit guide us through our service today, through the word of God, through the celebration of the Lord's Supper, through our fellowship with one another. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, it is the first Sunday of the month. You probably guessed that already because probably hopefully all of you have the communion elements. We will be celebrating the Lord's Supper at the end of our service today. Two weeks from now is Resurrection Sunday, so we're looking forward to that. Hope that uh, um, I'm not going to make any promises, but I'm trying to do something special. Try to figure it out. I haven't figured it out yet, but trying to hopefully will all right let's begin if you would now please turn your bibles to gospel of john chapter 9 verse 29 john chapter 9 verse 29 our message this morning is titled do you believe in the son of man do you believe in the son of man john chapter 9 verse 29 that's where we begin john 9 29 Give everybody a moment to get there this morning. Glad everybody got here this morning. And we'll begin. John 9, 29. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he is from. These words, of course, are spoken by the Jews who are interrogating a man who received his sight, even though he was blind from birth. Jesus performed a miracle on him. Remember, this is the second time that the Jews, the Pharisees, are are uh, interviewing, really interrogating this man. He sticks to his story that he was blind and now he sees. And so now they're challenging him. In fact, they've already ridiculed him because he continued to say that Jesus is from God. And then then, here the Jews responded in verse 29. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, that's Jesus, we do not know where he is from. The man answered. This is the man that was formerly blind. The man answered and said to them, well, here is an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God fearing and does his will, He hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him. You were born entirely in sins and you are teaching us. So they put him out. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him. He said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, 
Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. You know, there are few people in the world that are more obnoxious than a know-it-all. Few people in the world are more obnoxious than a know-it-all. Here's an example. Right? I mean, I could empathize with that whole emotion, right? People who think they know it all, and then they're going to tell you how to live your life. Well, of course, I'm referring this morning to these Jews, these Pharisees, who thought they know everything about God, about the law, about salvation. They, they considered themselves to be experts, even though, as I've mentioned several times, the thing they were expert on were their own traditions rather than the, the law itself. I'd like you to turn to Proverbs chapter 26, 12. Proverbs chapter 26, 12. Know-it-alls. We, I'm sure every one of us has one in your life. For all I know, some of you may be one of these. I don't know, but and uh, some are worse than others. And so we're gonna we're gonna see what the Bible though has to say about a person who thinks highly of himself, thinks he knows it all. Proverbs twenty-six twelve. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Because the Pharisees saw that they were they thought that they were wise wiser than everybody else definitely wiser than jesus definitely definitely wiser than a man born blind but here's the thing the problem with thinking that you know all the answers is that you'll never let anybody enlighten you the problem with knowing thinking you know all the answers is you'll never discover you don't because you never want to listen to anybody You, you won't let anybody teach you This was exactly the predicament that the Pharisees and the Jews were in. Because they thought they know all the answers about God, they were not willing to listen to anybody, but but especially a man born blind, that they could teach him anything about God. They had this similar attitude towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And and as we're going to see this morning, the, the things that they said they knew were all not true. But because they weren't open to anybody else telling them anything, they continued to think those things. And that's what we see this morning when Jesus talks about real blindness, spiritual blindness. It's people who think they can see but are really blind. But because they think they can see, they're not seeking out any enlightenment. Again, if you think you know all the answers, you won't let anybody enlighten you. Now, what does that mean? It means that you remain in the dark about a lot of things, but you don't know it. Now, if these, if these things we're talking about were only like things like math or history or sports, that's one thing. But when the things you remain in the dark about are, ta- are God and salvation, that's a real problem, right? If you think you know history and you don't, well, you may look like a fool. You may not learn the things you need to learn about what's going on in the world, but that's nothing compared to thinking you know 
what everything that needs to be known about God, thinking you know the path to salvation. Remaining in the dark about these things, about God and salvation and, and our destiny and this judgment. Remaining in the dark about those things has eternal, eternal consequences. Not knowing about history, that doesn't have eternal consequences. Not knowing about sports or mathematics or science or anything else, philosophy. None of those things, while, they, while not knowing about them, may be disadvantageous. They, none of them have eternal consequences. But God, knowing about who he is, knowing about the fact that we, we've all offended him, because we are all we all were sinners, we were all born in sin. That's crucial to know that, to know that God loves us and yet He's just and righteous. It's crucial to know about that. To know to know that since we're we're sinful, born in sin, and there's nothing we can do about it, and if we would remain there without it being addressed, that we would go to the lake of fire, under the wrath of God. That's absolutely critical to know. If you remain in the dark, if you think you know about God, if you think that he would never judge me or how can a good God send his children to hell? I mean, you hear all these things that people think they know about God and they don't. And that has eternal consequences. I know. Have you have people in your life, you tell them something like, I know, I know. Kids are famous for that. Right. They think they know everything. Right. I think it was a joke, but my my daughter one time gave me a T-shirt that said it was quoting me speaking. I don't need Google. My daughter knows everything. Right. (laughs) Young people think they know everything and they have an excuse. Uh, But even them, if they're not open to learning, that's probably one of the most tragic things of all. When a young person thinks they know everything. But translate this into the Christianity, translate this into the understanding about God And it's much more serious. I know. I know. You try to witness to somebody. I know. I know. Catholics know that Mary is the mother of God. Um, And and by the way, I mean, I I, I experienced this twice in the last week. I had a man who was proselytizing me. Well, that's not exactly accurate. He wanted me to donate money. And uh, somehow or other, the conversation got around to God. And he was a staunch Catholic. And he, he was convinced that he was in the right. And he was convinced that Mary was the mother of God. The saint he was praying to was powerful and a bunch of other stuff. They think they know. They, Catholics think they know that you get to heaven by living a good life. That's what they think they know. Of course, that couldn't be farther from the truth. But here's the problem. If that's what you think and you're not open to anything new, if you don't, if you think you know it all about how to get to heaven, then you won't be listening for the real truth about how you get to heaven and you'll be rejecting it. All right. How great is your darkness when you think you're in the light? That's the worst place to be. Muslims know that Allah is the only God. They know that. They also know that he's very intolerant and that the only way to approach him is by practices like the four pillars and the different things that are in that religion. They, they know that, but they're wrong. Atheists know that God doesn't exist. Now, those three examples, I just want you to think about that for a moment. On the one hand, we have a group that thinks Mary is the mother of God. 
Then we have somebody else who says, no, no, Allah is the is the God. And then we have a third one that says God doesn't exist. Now, I have a question for you. Can they all be right? No. Can they all be wrong? Yes. If if they're not open to the truth, then they'll stay wrong. They'll stay in the dark. That was the problem with the Pharisees. That was the problem with the Jewish leadership that kept confronting Jesus and hated him and wouldn't listen to anything he had to say, even when he said to him, here's the problem. You are of your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. You don't listen to me because I tell the truth. Every one of those words that Jesus spoke was true, and they weren't open to hearing any of them. And we have millions of people in our world today that are in exactly that same darkness. Maybe, well, definitely billions of people. Same darkness. Many of them, most of them, think they know it all. Most of them think that they have the truth, and that's all they need for this life and anything that comes after. By the way, there are millions of people that know there's no afterlife. Let's give you another example. They're all wrong, but they don't know it. Please turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. Let's see what Jesus has to say about such people. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. We know from the study we're doing in the book of Isaiah that the nation of Israel and the Jewish people were, were more hard-hearted, perhaps, than any other nation in the world. And, 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 and on one level, they had reason to be in this respect, that they really were God's chosen people. They were the ones that God had revealed himself to in the Old Testament. But because of that, their arrogance about that, their arrogance about the idea that they could kind of twist the scriptures into their own place and own traditions, especially the leadership, made them totally blind. I mean, I mean, Isaiah says in chapter six that, you know, you have eyes, but you do not see. You have ears, but you do not hear. Jesus, for the most of his public ministry, was coming to the Jewish people. He came unto his own and his own received him not. So this was particularly a problem for the people that Jesus was witnessing to in his ministry in the first century. This is one of the things he said, Matthew 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. Now, now Jesus, as he does so many times, starts with something in the natural world that everyone can understand, right? The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear... By the way, congratulations to Lee a couple of years ago and to um, Peter, because they both had cataract surgery. They can really relate to this, right? When your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. You can see. But if your eye is bad, now here he's moving. See, eye here becomes your perception of reality, your perception of what is true. If your eye, your spiritual eye is bad, then your whole body, your whole person will be full of darkness. But here's the real, real tragedy. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great the darkness. If the light, if the truth, quote, that is in you is really false, if what you think is life-giving is really death-producing, how great is that darkness? Religion 
is the capstone of a person ending up in or beginning and staying in that place. Because we all begin there. We all begin life in the darkness. It's a, it's, a, it's a picture of it, but we all begin life in the womb. For, you know, that's, that's in the natural realm. In the spiritual realm, we're all born dead in our trespasses and sins. So we all start in the darkness. That's why at the end, when Jesus says, if you really were blind, you would have no sin. In other words, we're, we're all born that way. And, and, but our guilt really comes out when we think that we know that we're okay and we're not. Right? In fact, Paul would say, to those who know it is sin, it is sin. Right? The law came to reveal the fact that all men are sinners. Paul, in the book of Romans, indicts the whole human race in chapters 1, 2, and the beginning of 3. Why? Because, naturally speaking, when we're in the darkness, we're comfortable, we're cozy. The only, only time that becomes a conflict is when the light appears. Whether that light was the law to reveal the sinfulness of the of really of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, or or even even more powerfully, if that light is the person of Jesus Christ that causes everybody to make a decision about him one way or the other. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, back in John chapter nine, it's interesting because the Pharisees thought that they knew a lot of things. They were certain about a lot of things. Always check yourself when you're certain about something. Never base it on something you've figured out or something that you've gotten from a worldly source because you can be certain and certainly wrong about a lot of things. In fact, the thing to do is when you find yourself certain about something, what you should do is go to the word of God and make sure it's certain about what you think you're certain about. The Pharisees didn't do that. After all, they had Moses. That's what they needed. By the way, Jesus already straightened them out on that. He basically said, listen, Moses talked about me. If you don't if you don't believe in me, then you really don't believe in what Moses had to say. They thought they had Moses. They knew that they had their traditions. They thought they knew a lot of things. They thought, you know what? We have this God thing down pat. And nobody could tell them anything. Muslims think they have this God thing down pat. And no one can tell them anything. Catholics believe that they have this God thing down pat. And no one can tell them anything. Atheists think they have the answer to who God is, meaning he doesn't exist. And they and nobody can tell them anything either. It's the we know syndrome. We know, we know. And you see, that's what the Pharisees and the Jews kept saying in chapter nine, not just in chapter nine either. Every time they encountered Jesus, they they countered what he had to say with we know something else. Right. Here they say we know that Moses was from God, but as to this man, we don't know where he comes from. Well, here's the problem with that. If you don't think you're sick, what will happen? If you don't think you're sick and you are, what will happen? You won't go to the doctor, right? You'll get worse. I don't know. This is. I grew up on Monty Python, and... Uh, <laughs> This was the Holy Grail, and this is when there's the Black Knight and the White Knight, I guess, fight. 
and the white knight is demolishing him, destroying him, just cut off his arm. But what does he say? It's just a flesh wound. You see, that's a that's about. A, I know it's kind of gross, but that's a good picture of the unbeliever who says, you know, I'm not that bad, right? I'm not that bad. It's just a flesh wound, right? Nothing serious. This is the problem. If you already think you're righteous, you're right. You're right with God. You will not be looking for your real savior when he comes. This was exactly what happened to the Pharisees. They thought they were better than everybody else. They thought their righteousness was better than anybody else's. By the way, Saul of Tarsus, you know, became Paul the apostle. He thought the same thing. As a matter of fact, he says in Philippians chapter 3, as to the law, blameless. The man that came to Jesus and asking him, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And the man said, what? I have kept them all from my youth. If you think you're already righteous, you will not be looking for your Savior when he comes. How great is your darkness when you think you're in the light? If you think you're already in the light, then you won't care about the true light of the world. As a matter of fact, you'll reject it because you you cling to the light you think you have. And you're skeptical of any other light, even though it's the true light and what you have is darkness. The true light of the world came and comes to enlighten every man, but not every man thinks they need the light. Let's go to chapter 9 now. Let's go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. And this time, we're going to look at some of the things the Pharisees were absolutely sure they knew. We know. We know. Look at John, chapter 9, verse 16. Here's one of the things that these men absolutely knew about Jesus. John 9, 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. They were certain about that. They knew that was true. Was it true? Was the opposite true? Yes. Was Jesus actually Lord of the Sabbath? Yes. Was he doing the Father's will when he healed on the Sabbath? Yes. Did he did he violate the true principles of the law in the Sabbath? No. Did they think their traditions trump what God really wanted in the Sabbath? Yes. How great is your darkness when you think you're in the light? Look at John 9, 24. This is something else they, they were certain they knew about Jesus. John 9, 24. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They knew it. They were sure of it. Was it true? No. Was the opposite true? Yes. Was he the only person ever who was born sinless? Yes, Jesus was. Absolutely. They thought he was a flagrant sinner. They knew. They were absolutely certain. Look at John chapter 9, 29. We see we know again. Look at John 9, 29. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. Did they know where he was from? Yes, they did. They knew it in two ways. Okay, they knew that he was from Nazareth. They knew he was from Galilee. 
they also knew or should have known that he came from God. As a matter of fact, we'll see this in a moment. At least one of them acknowledged as much all the way back in chapter three. We're going to go back there this morning. A man named Nicodemus. So they lied. Now, here's the other thing. Should they have known where he was from, even if some of them didn't? Absolutely. Look at John 9.34. This one's so ironic. So ironic because while, while they didn't know this, this, the subject they're about to bring up, Jesus' disciples had brought up in the beginning of chapter 9. And Jesus set them straight. They thought they knew this too. Notice, they answered him, the Jewish leaders to the man formerly blind, you were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? Now, there's something amazing about this statement, by the way. Why did they think he was born entirely in sins? Because he was born blind. What was it that they were denying at first? That he was born blind. Ironic, isn't it? Ironic, isn't it? What did the disciples think at the beginning of chapter 9 when they came across the man who was born blind? Who sinned? Him or his, or his parents? So, so it wasn't unique to the Pharisees, but it certainly, was it right? Was it true that he had to be born entirely in sins because he, he or actually that the reason that he was born blind is that somebody sinned? Is that the reason why? No. What did Jesus say? So that the glory of God might be displayed in him. So with, with the, the thing they also thought they knew was, again, the opposite of what was true. But notice after that, where do you go when you know you're in the light and somebody tries to enlighten you? You go to reject them. You push them away. You were born entirely in sins and you are teaching us? We're righteous. You're not. We, we don't want to learn from you. We don't want to learn from anybody, but especially you. What they didn't realize is that God chose the weak things of the world to shame the wise, right? The ignorant to, to change the so I mean, the weak things of the world to shame the powerful and the, the, the ignorant to shame the ones they thought they knew. They, so, again, one more time, the principle here, nobody could teach these Jewish leaders anything. Least of all, a man who was born entirely in sins. Again, the irony. Did God use the man born in, well, did God use the formerly blind man to teach them something? Did he? Yes. Of course he did. We're going to see some of those things in just a moment. Yes, he did. Did, um, did God use Balaam's donkey to teach them things? Absolutely. Right. The wrath of the wrath of man praises God. I think I have that right. God can use anything, often uses the foolish, often uses the least likely. Who was the least likely person on the planet to witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in, in Acts chapter eight and nine? The answer was Saul of Tarsus. He was persecuting, killing Christians. He later on would call himself the worst sinner who ever lived. Who did God pick to proclaim the gospel to the Gentile nations? The worst sinner who ever lived. God does this all the time. They should have known that because of their Old Testament showed that again and again and again. Because, But they knew nobody could teach them anything. Definitely not a man who was born blind. Because after all, he was born entirely in sins. 
Let's look at the other man here this morning, the formerly blind man. The thing about the formerly blind man was that he really was ignorant of a lot of things. But he recognized it. He recognized it. He, and he was clear on what he knew and what he didn't know. He, what he did know was that this man called Jesus had healed him. What he did know was that the man who had been born blind, him, can now see. He was certain of that, and those things are true. But he also knew what he did not know, or at least did not know yet. For example, at the beginning of chapter 9, he realized that he knew next to nothing about Jesus. He knew a couple of things. He called him a man, and he said that, that I was blind and now I see. Those things he knew. But he didn't know much at all about Jesus. I mean, that, for example, at first when the, when the, when the Pharisees um, interrogated him and they said, we know this man is a sinner, what he said to them is, I don't know that. One way or the other, he recognized what he didn't know. He recognized and and admitted what he was in the dark about. That's the key to being enlightened. That's the key to being saved. The first thing you need to recognize and know about yourself in order to be saved is that you need a savior. That like, like the publican said, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. You have to know that you're a sinner before you're looking for a savior. Well, this man knew the things he was in the dark about. At the beginning, he recognized that he knew next to nothing about Jesus. What happened? He became more and more enlightened. Why? Because he was eager to know. I mean, in a sense, you know, who who wouldn't in a way? Because this is a man who healed him. But he but also The Pharisees knew this was the man who healed them. The Pharisees knew about the other miracles that Jesus performed. Were they eager to get to know him, truly? No. So there's a fundamental difference here. One thinks they're in the light. The other knows he's in the dark. He realized when Jesus says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? He knew he was in the dark. Why? What did he ask? Who is he that I might believe in him? He didn't try to pawn it off and say, oh, yeah, I know all about the Son of Man. I know what's in the Old Testament about the Son of Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. It can't be Jesus because, you know, he comes from Nazareth. And we thought, sure, that this Messiah, he had to come from Bethlehem and so forth. He knew he didn't know. He was eager to be enlightened about those things. That's the opposite of a know-it-all. That's where you want to (laughs) be, obviously. You want to be a person who recognizes the things you know and the things you don't know. Critically, when it comes to God and the things of God, there are a lot of Christians out there today who think they know a lot about God and they don't know much at all about him. They're saved because they know one thing. Thank thank the Lord, which is that they were a sinner and Jesus is their savior and died for their sins. But beyond that, they're still confused about a lot of things. And some of the things they're most sure of are the things that they're most really in the dark about. Lordship salvation preachers, for example, they're absolutely certain that in order for someone to become a believer in Christ, they have to repent of their sins and they have to they have to declare that Jesus is Lord of their life. 
they have to totally turn around their life. They're sure of that. They're sure that that somebody who claims they're a Christian and doesn't go to their church isn't saved. They're sure about that. Some of the people there are there are millions of Christians and not all of them are believers, by the way, who are absolutely sure that the way that they're proceeding, in many cases, the man that they're being taught is is absolutely perfect and they know everything they need to know about God. And many of them don't know the first thing about God. If you don't know that God is gracious, you don't know the first thing about God. If you don't know that God is love, but also righteous and just, you don't know the first thing about God. There are millions of Christians or people who say they are who don't know the first thing about the grace of God. Not one thing about it. Interesting. The the, the young man that that I was talking to that was that was looking for a donation and told me that uh, Saint, I forget the saint, you know, is the key to his life. Well, he also he also said that that you have to be somebody who not only believes, but also lives a good life. He didn't know the first thing about the grace of God. The thing about Catholics um, I know them best, so you're going to hear this. It's not just Catholic, but they use the word grace. But they but they don't mean they mean the opposite, by the way, of what grace in the Bible is. So it isn't even just the the words, you know, a Muslim can say, I believe in Jesus. Did you know that? And stay a Muslim. You want to know why? Because there's another Jesus. There's a Jesus in the Quran, but he's not the real one. How great is your darkness when you think you're in the light? But this man was eager to be enlightened about the things about Jesus that he knew he did not know. And so he would be. He would go from somebody who just knew that he was a man to somebody who who then realized he was a prophet to somebody that then realized that he was definitely from God, who somebody was then enlightened by Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of Man. Look at John chapter 9, verse 35. The Jewish leaders had, had enough. They kicked him out, this blind man, formerly blind man, because they did. he did to challenge them about the things that they thought they knew and they didn't know and he knew. Jesus heard, verse 35, that they had put him out and notice the next three words, and finding him. Finding him. What does that mean? It means that Jesus sought him out, right? And finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? I'm in awe of how direct Jesus is all the time. I know he's the God man, but still, I know he he came from God. I know he was inspired. I know he only did the things that the father revealed to him. Nevertheless, he just comes right out directly at the issue, doesn't mince words. And again, he does this. You see, he already knew that this man believed in him in certain ways. And what I mean by that is that he believed he was a prophet. He believed he was a healer. He was from God. But the Lord had to be absolutely sure that this man knew the most important thing of all about him. All right. What was that? Do you believe in the son of man? He was talking about his identity, right? 
The son of man is a term that Jesus uses often, particularly, by the way, not so much in the Gospel of John, but in the other three Gospels. We're going to see this morning, Old Testament reference to the son of man is, I'll give you a hint, more than a hint, he's the Messiah. You see, and for the Jews, that was the thing they really needed to believe about Jesus, that he's the Messiah, right? And the son of God, both of those things. By the way, this particular um, statement, the son of man, um, there, I hate going here in one sense because I never want people to be uncertain about the word of God. But I have to lay it out for you. The King James says the son of God. And again, if you, it's one of those things, if you look at the text evidence, you could go either way. Now, I don't think that the, that the Lord actually sponsored the idea that you'd have two text traditions. and I mean, he allowed it. But it's interesting here because those are the two identities of Jesus that people needed to know, the Jews needed to know, that he was the son of man and he's the son of God. So you can't go wrong. And by the way, a lot of times he would use one of them, but he would talk about the other one, right? Because that's who he is. That's what you need to know to be saved. The question of this gospel, who is Jesus? That's the question that you need to answer for yourself. That's the question that this man needed to answer. And I love his first answer. Again, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief, another man said one time to him. See, see, see the Bible says that on the day of, of our salvation, God helped us. God helped us even to believe by grace through faith, not of works. It is the gift of God. But he was eager to know. He knew he didn't know. He wasn't ashamed of that. He knew he was in the dark about it, but he didn't stay there. He wanted to know. Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Wouldn't it be great if this week you witnessed to somebody and they, they, they admit, I don't really know. Who the son of God is. I don't really know who the Messiah is, but I want to. Who is he that I can believe in him? I mean, I mean, there's probably no joyous words that you'd ever want to hear in a witnessing situation than that. Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. You now have spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear. He had literally been healed of his blindness. This, by the way, was the absolute first moment that he had ever laid eyes on Jesus because the last time he was blind when when Jesus was with him. He said, you have both seen him now. He is the one who is talking with you. Immediately, the man said, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. The Lord led him to the truth. The man was open to it. The man recognized it and he believed. And then then what happens next? This is what I mean about son of God, son of man. He worshiped him. You worship God, not men. All right. So so he knew it all. I shouldn't say it that way, but he knew the essentials about who Jesus was now. Son of man, son of God, the Christ, the son of God and believing you have life in his name. Verse 39 is Jesus version here in the Gospel of John, of what he said in the Gospel of Matthew. And and he perfectly describes these two groups. One's an individual, one's a group. 
and the absolute difference between the two, the, the, the leaders of the Jews and the man born blind. I mean, what greater contrast could you ever have in Jewish culture than that? Pharisees, chief priests, they can see. Man born blind, entirely in sins. And yet, the absolute reverse was true. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 39. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world. By the way, he didn't. the purpose of Jesus coming, what was the purpose? Do you remember? I came that they may be judged. Is that what Jesus said? No, what? They may have life. He came, his purpose was to save. But he came into a world that rejected him, by and large. And so while his purpose, God's purpose, God is not willing that any should perish. God's purpose in having his son, the light, come into this world was to save everybody. Don't let anybody tell you the lie that they think they know that God started this whole thing off picking ahead of time who was going to be saved and who wasn't. That's blasphemous. Okay, that is not what the word of God has to say. But Jesus causes division. Right. Remember, he said one time, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Father in law and and daughter in law split, not because he came to split them, but because his 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 person, his identity, who he is, splits people. And to those who believe and that those who don't for that, for judgment, not his purpose. But guess what? As a result. As long as everybody's in the dark, we all look the same. As soon as the light comes on, some go to the light, some stay in the dark. Was it the light's fault? No, it was the choice that people made. For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see. That's the man born blind. Now, no longer is he talking naturally. He's talking spiritually. Those who do not see, who know they're in the darkness, may see. And those who see may become blind because they see the wrong things. What they see is really darkness and they think it's light. Those who see, in quotes, may become blind. All right. In the moments that remain before the Lord's Supper, let's kind of go do a little survey verse by verse. I wanted today to give you the, you know, the, the, the meat of the matter. OK, but let's go a little bit through the passage so we can note some things that are important. I mean, all important, but in terms of the, the, the subject this morning, look at John 9, 29 once again. John 9, 29. Where we began this morning. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. Would that they had stopped after the first comma, Right. We know that God has spoken to Moses. They actually did know some things. They weren't totally in the dark about everything. That's true, isn't it? Of course it is. I mean, one of the, one of the great highlights of the Old Testament was Moses going up to, to Mount Sinai and, and listening to the Lord. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. And it's so funny. Because just a little while before this, look at John 8, 48.
You see, the contrast they, they made in that verse 29, the statement, we know God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he is from. They revealed more than they wanted to because the contrast would be, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but he hasn't spoken to this man, right? Would that be the parallel thing to say? He spoke to Moses, didn't spoke to this man. But what did he say? What did they say? As for this man, we don't know where he's from. What that showed was that they did know. And because why? Because he's the one who said, I am from God. I am from God. I am from God. Only thing I speak is what I hear from him. So by saying we do not know where he's from, they're trying to gloss over or not listen or not recognize what Jesus said over and over again. But the funny thing is, was back in chapter eight, they claimed they did know where he was from, again, spiritually. Notice verse 48. The Jews answered and said to him, we know, right? Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They were absolutely sure about that, too. They they said on the one hand, he came from Nazareth. On the other hand, he came from Samaria. See See how they didn't really know anything? See how confused people are? By the way, that's another thing that will come out. When you're witnessing to somebody who knows, who thinks they know the truth and it's a lie, their confusion will come out. All right, but I'll let you know they're on the right track, by the way. But even then, if they don't recognize it, you know how many people who think they say they say it's not inconsistency, it's you know sophistication. How many times have you heard that? Well, it's so they do we not say rightly that you are Samaritan and what have a demon? What are they saying? You're not from God, right? You're not even Jewish. You're, you're a Samaritan. You have a demon. You're the opposite of from God. So he, he responded to that, remember, by saying, hey, hold on a second. You guys are the real children of the devil. That was the truth. This was a lie. But they were sure about it. Well, it turns out that the man born blind knew some things that the so-called enlightened Jews didn't know. Let's keep reading now. John 9, 30 to 31. The man answered and said to them, well, here is an amazing thing, an amazing true thing, by the way, that you do not know where he is from. And yet he opened my eyes. In other words, they were the scholars. They were the experts on the Old Testament. You don't know where he's from. He opened the eyes of the blind, not just the blind, but the man born blind. Which, remember, we saw they're going to admit when they say you were born entirely in sins. You see, another inconsistency. You don't know where he's from, but he opened my eyes. We know. I love this. What does he say in verse 31? We know. In a sense, he was mimicking, as it were, the leaders who thought they knew and didn't. He's about to say something that they should have known. A truth, and they didn't. We know that God does not hear sinners. But anyone, if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears them. I want to caution you right now. This was said in the context of the Old Testament. They're still under the law. Jesus hasn't risen from the dead. Nobody at this point is indwelt by the Spirit. Nobody by this point has been, um, has been um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
I don't know. They, 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 it's a different, you know this, I've taught this so many times. It's a different situation. We call it a dispensation. Okay. So don't apply this to you this morning. All right? I know some people may jump to the conclusion that, wait a minute, God doesn't hear me if I'm sinning. By the way, there are millions of Christians who teach that. You have to keep short accounts with God or else he won't hear your prayers. What a bunch of nonsense. We're supposed to pray always. Now, how could we do that if we could never pray when we didn't confess our sins? You would never, let me tell you something, you would never pray to God ever, especially if you knew. If you knew what, soul, what sins were really all about, you would realize that you can't keep up with them. You'd, never, you'd hardly ever be, in, be able to go to God in prayer. What a ridiculous thing to say, especially, again, for somebody who's indwelt by the Spirit, who is, who is in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, who's been adopted by God the Father. And now you have these millions of Christians walking around saying, I'm not in fellowship, I'm not in fellowship, I'm not in fellowship. I can't pray to him right now. So I don't get the wrong idea here. I want to show you the Old Testament tie-in. Though. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. By the way, sinners in the Old Testament means unbelievers. Okay, It means the same thing in the, in the New Testament, by the way. Unbelievers. And, and, and unbelievers, again, haven't yet been born again, obviously, haven't yet been adopted. by the. They, they, you know, even in the Old Testament, there's children of God, children of the devil. Okay. If anyone is God fearing and does his will, he hears him. What's interesting about this is that now the man, formerly blind, had to enlighten the Jews about what was in their own scriptures. He was the one who knew what they didn't know about what the Old Testament had to say, because the notion that God doesn't hear sinners is an Old Testament teaching. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15. Again, please keep in mind that something completely earth-shattering occurred when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. He brought in a new thing, right? He, he had told, he had told the, the Jewish people um, during the Feast of Booths that um, he, until he was risen from the dead, the spirit hasn't come in the, in the sense of being indwelt yet. Everything changes when Jesus rises from the dead. Uh, and that's what Paul does, by the way. He's the one, the worst sinner who ever lived, least of the apostles. He's the one to whom God revealed mysteries that had never been revealed before. You are a new creation. And and the Lord never said that about any Jewish person in the Old Testament. We're in a different place. And thank God for that. We're not under the law. We're under grace. We live by the spirit, not by the law, not by the letter of the law. Isaiah 1.15 so when you spread out your hands in prayer, notice, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Why? Your hands are covered with blood. So it was an Old Testament principle. Even then, it wasn't always true. Okay, he's Again, he's dealing in a specialized way with the nation of Israel, who be given everything, be given the, 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 the temple to, the law, everything to. And they rebelled against him as a nation. That's the context here. Okay. I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. So this idea of God not hearing sinners, Old Testament teaching, but the opposite is also true or the reverse or the whatever you want to call it, the flip side, because the Old Testament also teaches that God does hear the prayers of the righteous. 
Please turn to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29. In one sentence, the man formerly born blind was teaching these principles to the Jews who thought they knew everything about the Old Testament. Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Not only that, but in certain exceptional cases in the Old Testament, the answer that God gave to a man's prayer was a miracle. Was a miracle. James would talk about that in chapter 5 when he talks about Elijah being a righteous man. And when he prayed that there wouldn't be any rain, it didn't rain for three years, for example. I want you to see another example where God listened to the prayer of a righteous man and answered it and answered it with a miracle. Please turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 32. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 32. This was all lost on the ones who thought they knew it all. They were totally in the dark. Totally in the dark. Every bit as much as the nation of Israel was when there was a point in time where they couldn't even find one copy of the law. That's the same place that these Pharisees were in. Look at 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 32. When Elisha came into the house, both the lad, behold, rather, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. So he entered and he shut the door behind them both. And prayed to the Lord. He went up. And he lay on the child. And put his mouth on his mouth. And his eyes on his eyes. And his hand on his hands. And he stretched himself on him. And the flesh of the child became warm. Healed him. Now. now, This was a man who prayed to God. And God took somebody who was dead. And brought him back to life. But even here. This is not as great a miracle. As Jesus, well, an unprecedented one, let me say that. Not great, but unprecedented. And what Jesus did when he took the, the, the man who was born blind and healed him. So that Jesus performed a miracle that was unprecedented. And yet the principle was that God sometimes answers the prayer of a righteous man with a miracle. So what, what did the, the Jewish leaders not know that they had to know? Well, that Jesus performed an amazing miracle. He had to be from God. He had to be a righteous man. The man, the man born blind, by the way, knew something else that the learned Pharisees ignored. Please go. Let's keep going now. Go back to John chapter nine, verse thirty-two. John chapter nine, verse thirty-two. You can search everywhere else in the Bible that's not talking about what Jesus did. You will not find one instance where a man healed a man who was born blind. None of the Old Testament prophets, none of the apostles, one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at and this was something that the man born blind just knew and that the other the leaders and the so-called wise who were in the dock really didn't recognize. Notice verse 32. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone 
open the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. By the way, that's an Old Testament principle as well. In the book of Isaiah, we're looking at now, the Lord said the same thing to the people that were worshiping all these false gods and thought that they were something. He said, listen, if you're not from God, you can't do anything. When Elijah was confronting the the priests of Baal, what did he do to him? He said, hey, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put this all this wood on our altar, and I want you to call on your God and have him light that fire, and they couldn't. And then he poured, remember, all kinds of water on it, and he went to the Lord, his, the Lord Yahweh, and poof, an inferno. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And by the way, I mentioned this. We'll go there quickly. Please go to John 3 as we close this morning. Look at John 3 because there's another man who, by the way, was a Pharisee and a leader of the Jews by the name of Nicodemus who had already acknowledged this about Jesus when he met him that night. Look at John chapter 3, verse 1. Remember this, John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know, we, by the way, we, Right. What other Pharisees who are other rulers? We know that you have come from God as a teacher for no one can do these signs on that you do unless God is with him. That's exactly what the man born blind said. Right. No one can do these signs that Jesus is doing all the way back in chapter three unless God is with him. They knew, but they they, re, they refused to acknowledge they stayed blind to these facts. Look at John. Let's keep going now. John 9, 34. That's the worst, by the way. When people know and they lie about it, that's the absolute worst thing that can go on. I don't know that. They did know that. John nine thirty four. They answered him. Thank you for straightening us out. We were blind about that. We should have known, but we were blind, and we're glad that you showed us the light. <laughs> Hardly, right? They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? So they put him out. That's the thing what arrogant blind people do when they're confronted with the truth. Eventually, they have no other recourse than to say, get out of here. I'm not listening anymore. Have you ever had that happen to you when you were witnessing to somebody? Oh, I have. Many times. I'm sure you have, too. Now, sometimes they're the ones who get out, but it's the same principle. And Jesus sought him out. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? In chapter 10, Jesus is going to say that he's the good shepherd. He's going to say in chapter, uh, I don't know which one it was, 13, I think, that he has not lost any of his sheep. He never will. Every one of his sheep, the believers, are in his hands and the hands of the Father. Nothing is ever going to pluck him, pluck those people out of his hands. This is an example. When everybody else turned on this guy, when the so-called religious leaders threw him out, the real shepherd comes on the scene, and he won't lose any of his sheep. Again, look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? 
And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. In other words, Jesus enlightened this man. Jesus allowed him to see something that the Jewish leaders refused to see. That's what happened. Notice the wording, though. Jesus allowed him to see something that the Jewish leaders refused to see. You see, in order to see something, you got to come to the the Christ. you got to come to the word of God to see it. No one's going to see it naturally. Don't kid yourself. Don't think that you were more enlightened or holier, and that's why when you heard the gospel, you believed it. No, you had to be led to it. The Lord had to allow you, the Holy Spirit had to convict you too of sin and, and righteousness and judgment. But but be, but because this man was eager to know, turned to the light rather than the darkness, Jesus allowed him to see. Jewish leaders didn't do that. They thought they knew. They were really blind. and They refused to see it. This was something that Abraham rejoiced to see. This was something that prophets and righteous men of the Old Testament longed to see. And what is it? It's the coming of the Son of Man. The coming of the Son of Man. The coming of the Messiah. The promise is fulfilled. This is who Jesus is. This is who we represented. He was saying to this man, I am standing right in front of you. I am the one from God. I am the one that Daniel talked about. Here I am right in front of you. <laughs> in the interest of time, I'm just going to read Daniel. You can go there if you want, but I don't want to want to keep moving here because we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper which is the memorial of the Savior dying for us. I kept looking in the night visions, Daniel the prophet, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days, God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. This was who was standing in front of the man born blind that day. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And Jesus asked the blind man the one question, one question that would change his life forever. It's the same question that separates those, all those who walk in the darkness and those who have the light of life. Those who see and those who remain blind. Each and every person faces this same question. And how you answer it determines whether you are a child of the devil or a son of light. Determines whether you have eternal life or remain under the wrath of God. Do you believe in the Son of Man, do you believe in Jesus? The title of today's message. Do you believe that you are a sinner? Do you? I'm talking now to somebody who is not a believer in Christ, okay? But you can look back and read and understand. This is the gospel. Do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe it's impossible for you to return, earn eternal life on your own merits, on the good things that you do, on being a good person? Do you believe it's impossible? For you to earn eternal life on your own merits. And do you believe that God has therefore provided you the Savior who is Christ the Lord? Do you believe? Do you believe that he died for your sins 
and was raised from the dead. If you do, you have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish ever, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world may be saved through him. This should sound familiar. This is John 3, 16 to 18. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the whole world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is the one who is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then the question, do you believe this? All right, let's close. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you that you did give us the Savior, that you brought into the world the light of life that enlightens every man, and that that also separates because there are some who welcome the light, know they're in the darkness, and then by that they see they're no longer blind, and there are others who think they're in the light, think they know, think they can see the things of God and don't and remain in the darkness. We thank you, though, Father, that each and every person has the opportunity to see the light, believe in the light, and become sons of light. And, Father, we're now going to celebrate the act that made it possible for whosoever, by grace through faith, to believe in your Son and have eternal life. Help us, Father, to be concentrating and worshipful so that we once again, recognize and know the things that the death of your son represent and accomplish. We ask this in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, make sure you have the communion elements and prepare them as needed. As we, as we saw in today's message, there's no greater fool than the man who thinks he knows everything. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul dealt with exactly that, and with exactly the event and the truth that we are bringing to remembrance each and every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's that division. Foolishness to those who are perishing, us who are being saved, power of God. And then he goes on. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. You are on the right side when you preach the gospel. You have the power of God when you just simply speak the truth about the cross of Jesus Christ. Where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? 
has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world, the one who think they're in the light but is really in the darkness? They're the fools. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. That's never how anyone's going to, your wisdom, your works, your knowledge of worldly things, philosophy, whatever, science, you'll never come to know God that way. But God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message, like the man born blind looked foolish to these so-called mighty men, high men. The foolishness of the message preached. You see, it's never the person who's preaching it. You can be a fool, but if you have the preached the word of the cross, then there's power. Those who believe. For indeed, Jews, Jesus' ministry primarily, asked for signs. But if they weren't open to the truth, the light of person of Jesus, they would never see what the sign meant. They asked for signs. They had the greatest sign of all, by the way, with Jesus' presence, and all of all when he died on the cross and rose again. Jews asked for signs. Greeks searched for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, the stumbling block. To the Gentiles, foolishness. All because the darkness that is inside them they thought was the light. That's why. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The death of Christ on the cross, Christ crucified, is a stumbling block to the self-righteous to the self-righteous. You mean somebody, God in the flesh, had to die for me? Or else there was no hope? Right? That's a stumbling block, but only to the self-righteous. Only to the Pharisee who fasts twice a week and tithes on everything he owns. What? I need, I need somebody to die for me? On the cross? And it was foolishness to those who are wise in their own estimation. How can God die on a cross? That makes no sense. Right? He's a king, and yet his own people put him to death. That's foolishness. But in each case, they refuse to see the power. This is their blindness in the death of Christ. They refuse to see the glory in the death of Christ. And most tragically, they refuse to see their savior in the death of Christ. That's why we gather in the Lord's Supper. We have an opportunity to see all those things once again in the death of Christ. The glory of of what he accomplished, the power of what he accomplished, the Savior dying on the cross. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming that death, and hopefully we understand that to mean the meaning behind it, the power, the glory, the salvation. Christ is the light of life. Those who come to that light by believing in him will never perish. We're not the light, but we can testify about the light. How? The word of the cross. The message of the gospel is the testimony that we have to give about the light of life, the light of the world. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper and he said, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Heavenly Father, we thank you now for the enlightenment that is available to every man. The enlightenment that has been recognized by everybody who believes in your son for salvation. We, we thank you, Father, that you've given us this opportunity as often as we gather together to, to break the bread and to drink the cup, to eat the bread, to once again enrich and be enlightened, be reminded about the magnificence of your plan, the magnificence of Jesus Christ's death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, which we'll be celebrating on two Sundays from today. Father, we ask, too, that you would bring people in our path we're still in the darkness, that you would open our mouths and help us to preach the light of life and the truth of the death and resurrection of your son. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the spirit. Amen. A couple of things. We do have Bible study on Thursdays. I know you all know this, but like everything else, we, we gather together to remember. Don't forget, every, every Thursday, 630, we're on per, in person as well as on Skype. Um, I want to also remind everybody about our giving. It's not ours, about the Bible's New Testament giving policy, right? Which is by grace that, what does that mean? It means you're not forced to do it. You're, there's not a particular percentage that God has dictated to you. Far from it. What he said was, listen, I want you to recognize that I give freely, that I've blessed you in so many ways. And, and when I bless you financially, consider that I am also desirous for you to express your gratitude in the manner of giving in some, now, in some manner or fashion. If, if you see it as um, your, your gift to be able to support the preaching of the word of God, do it. If you think it's your gift to support the body of Christ in some way informally, do it. Okay, do it in grace. God loves a cheerful giver. All right, let's close. Heavenly Father, we just thank you once again for everything that you've provided us for and we've uh, recognized and celebrated in this service today. We also thank you, Father, that you've challenged us in your word, that Jesus, your son, is very clear and that the stakes couldn't be higher in the preaching of the gospel, that you are both righteous and just as well as loving that those who reject your son will perish, will stay under your wrath. Those are real truths, and we need to have those, Father. Once in a while, we need to be reminded of that and consider the fate of those who reject the gospel. So we ask, Father, that you would empower us with your word of the cross to be able to give everybody that we come across that, that allows us to the opportunity to believe in your son and be saved. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.